Mark chapter 16. And we'll start reading at verse 1 in just a minute. We're going to conclude today the series of messages we've been involved in called The Road to Resurrection, where we've been looking at four stops as of today. We'll be looking at four stops along Jesus' road to resurrection. First, we talked about how he emptied himself. And then we talked about how he showed us the Father. Last week, we talked about how he paid the penalty for our sin. And today, we're going to be talking about how he defeated death. Along this journey, we've been meeting people uh, who were part of the story, sometimes overlooked, because their, uh, their role seems to be minor based on the the um, amount of space given to their story in the scripture. But I want to tell you something. There isn't any minor characters in the story that God is writing. And that includes you. You are not a minor character. You're not a bit player in this grand and glorious pageant of our God's redemptive program. So whether anybody writes a story about you, whether you end up being recorded in some human uh, history of what God has done in this world, let me tell you, when you get to heaven, there is something called the Lamb's Book of Life. And your name will be there. Not as some, you know, token uh, person, but something, someone God has invested all of his attention in, into. Anyway, we've, we've looked at uh, Mary of uh, Bethany. We've, we've, we've met Malchus. Um, and uh, last week, uh, we, we met Simon of Cyrene. And today, we're going to be meeting someone named Salome. And I want to begin reading chapter 16 of Mark, verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, And Salome brought spices that they might come and anoint him. This happens on Sunday. Jesus was crucified on a Friday. Saturday was a Sabbath day and no work could be done. So a couple of uh, high priests who who were kind of secret followers of Jesus, they took care of his body once uh, it was brought down from the cross on Friday. In other words, they uh, put uh, ointments and spices on him and they placed him in a tomb. All day Saturday, no one could do any work. These women, they just wanted to do something for Jesus. And so they waited till Sunday morning, the very first opportunity they could have after Sabbath, and they went to the tomb to... uh, add more spices and ointments. Yes, it had already been done, but but they just wanted to do something. And so, verse 2 says, Very early in the morning, on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen, and they said among themselves, Who will roll away the stone from the door of the tomb for us? Now, this was a huge stone. It had been sealed with a a Roman seal that was not to be moved uh, it was the tomb was guarded, and the women got there and, just, and thought, "Oh my, what are we going to do about this stone?" But when they get there, it says, "When they looked up, verse four, they saw that the stone had been rolled away, for, the, for it was very large." And entering the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a long white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. I love when the Bible gives us these kind of these details that seem so insig- insignificant. This man was on the right side. What difference does that make? Well, the Lord is helping us by his word to understand this, this, is, this, what, this really happened. Somebody didn't just make this stuff up. So there's this guy and he's 
and uh, an angelic uh, being, and he's sitting on the right side there, and they were kind of alarmed, as you would be. But he said to them, verse 6, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He ain't here. The ain't isn't in here. I, I added that. <laughs> See the place where they laid him. But go tell his disciples and Peter. I love that because Peter had denied the Lord three times. Yes, he, what, he was included in that word, go tell his disciples, but he makes specific reference to Peter. I love that. It's just the tenderness and grace of God. Go tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him, as he said to you. So this woman, Salome, she's one of the women who come to the tomb and, one of the, and, and the first to discover that Jesus is alive. But let's make our way backwards through Salome's relationship with Jesus. Before this that we've just read happened, we are told that she was among the women who stayed with Jesus, who carried on this vigil at his cross. While he was being crucified, she and, and a few other women stayed there. They stayed with him. All of the other of Jesus' disciples, except for John, apparently, had hit the road because they were afraid for their own lives. But these women, they stayed with him all the way through his agony. She was one of those. Before that, we're told that she was one of the followers of Jesus. That uh, she, in fact, probably, um, it's, it's fairly clear that she was helping to support him among a, a group of supporters that were helping financially or materially to support Jesus and his disciples in his ministry. But before that, when we first meet Salome, Things are very different. She's the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee. Now, James and John, are, they were fishermen like their dad, Zebedee. And Jesus had a nickname for them. He called them the sons of thunder. I love the fact that Jesus had nicknames for his disciples, don't you? He knows you. He knows me. He knows the ins and outs of who we are. And he celebrates that. I won't go into all the reasons why he, he named them the sons of thunder, but we first meet Salome when she comes to Jesus, and these two men, James and John, her boys, are following Christ, so they've told her all about him, and she's probably heard him speak and whatnot. She comes to Jesus, and she says, Jesus, now in her mind, she's, she's probably getting the fact that, well, there's the possibility this guy might be the Messiah, and the overarching um, notion among people about Messiah in those days of, uh, was that he was going to come and reestablish national sovereignty for Israel because right now they're under Roman rule. They hate the Romans and they're waiting for Messiah to come and, and uh, restore their, um, their place as, as uh, an independent nation of Israel. And so that's her mindset. And she comes to Jesus. She says, Jesus, when you come into your kingdom... Can my boys sit on your right hand and left? And I love that because I can just picture this Jewish mother trying to, trying to take every advantage that she can to move her boys forward and to see them have a life better than the one that perhaps she and Zebedee are going to be able to, to launch for them. What she's doing is what we often do. Jockey for position. 
Try to find the best way to get to that which will benefit us the most. And more than you know, your life is dominated by that. And we're going to find out a little bit more about that today. But we're going to leave Salome's story there for a minute and we'll come back to it later. Is that all right? I'm going to ask you to turn to two more passages of Scripture. Notice I didn't give you a chance to respond because if it was not all right, we're in trouble this morning. But turn to the book of Hebrews now, way back in the Old uh, New Testament, little, little book, um, Hebrews, and turn to chapter 2. Hebrews 2, verse 14. And we'll get to that in just a minute. He defeated death. Jesus defeated death. Do you know that death is what we earned? Romans chapter 6, verse 23 says that the wages of sin, what we've earned for our sin, is death. But death is not just that day you stop breathing and they throw you in a in a hole in the ground and shovel dirt on you. That's probably the most obvious manifestation of what death is, but it's not the only way to die. It's not the only part of you that can die. Your hopes can die. Your, your uh, re- a relationship can die. Your dreams can die. Anybody ever experienced any of that? Just me? And when, when in the Garden of Eden, when the Lord said to Adam and Eve, the day you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll die. And they went ahead, thumbed their nose at God, and ate from that tree, and launched this whole mess that sin has caught us all up in. That day, they did not put them in a, in a hole in the ground, shovel dirt on them. But that day, they did die. So there's more than one way to die. And it's not just about the day you cease breathing. It's about the whole system of robbing you of life as God intended for you. We need a better definition of death if we're going to go any further this morning. If Jesus triumphed over death, it's not only so that I can have eternal life. Hallelujah. Thank God for that. But that's not only what he was doing. He was defeating death in every one of its forms. Death is sins keeping me, separating me from the life God intended for me. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 14. Inasmuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, that's you and me, since we are flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, Likewise, shared in the same, he came and took on human form. That, through death, through his death, he might destroy, very strong word, destroy him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. Tells us here, Jesus took on human flesh so that in his dying, on our behalf, he could destroy the works of of the devil, the one who held the, the power of death over us. Very strong word. He didn't just win on points. He knocked him out. Verse 15. And release those who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. 
The fear that I might not measure up, the fear that I might miss something, the fear that I might not be able to take advantage of the, of the opportunity when it arises, the fear that I haven't done what I needed to prepare myself to be able to have a better life, those fears dominate us, the Bible says right there. More than you know, you and I are preoccupied, consumed by, bound by, held by, trapped in cycles of, and patterns of living that are all about trying to f- make sure that we uh, experience a better life, that we don't miss out. Because back in, our, in the back recesses of our understanding, we know that sin has separated me from that. But we're told here, Jesus came to pay the penalty, to destroy, to undo everything about death's hold on us. You know, even those people that are, you know, we consider death defiers, daredevils, risk takers. You know, the other day I was watching this video, maybe you saw it. These people changing the tires, the wheels on a um, SUV while they were going down the freeway. <laughs> they, I don't know how they do it, but they get the, the car up on two wheels and people are, climb out of the vehicle onto the car, change the wheels that are the tires that are up on the air, and then they flip the thing the other way while the people run around to the other side of the car while it's going down the freeway and change the wheels on the other side, the tires on the other side. Why? well I suppose one of the reasons is because they're just stupid (laughs) but another reason may be why people take why we are sometimes inclined to take risks to prove to ourselves that we aren't under bondage to the fear of death but the fact that we have to prove that to ourselves shows us we are And it's not just, look, the, the, the fear of dying is a healthy thing. It's what keeps you from running into the street and getting hit by a car. But this is more about that, more than about that. This is about being separated from the life that God intended for you. Jesus came to defeat death's hold on you, to end that bondage. That thing that keeps you bound up in habits. How many of you, you don't have to raise your hand, but know what it's like to feel like you just can't get past this thing. You're just stuck. You just keep coming against this wall again and again and again. Or maybe it feels like this wave. is You're just outrunning this wave that's about to crash over you and draw you back into a place where you're going to be diminished. You're going to have less than. Oh, the effort, the work, the labor that this bondage introduces into our lives is more than we know. Jesus died to do away with that bondage, to make it possible for us to live in freedom. So death is what we earned. Fear of it binds us. But Jesus has given us victory over it. Let's turn to 1 Corinthians now. The last passage you're going to look at with me this morning, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 
And if you're navigating the Bible and aren't real familiar with it, join the club. There's this great thing in the very front of it called the Table of Contents that helps a lot. Find 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel, which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand. Paul is writing a letter here to the Christians in the city of Corinth. And he says to them, I'm, I'm preaching to you the gospel I already preached to you. The gospel you've already received. The good news that you've already received. And the good news that you're already standing in. So why is he preaching it to them again? Because we need to be reminded of the power and the impact of this good news again and again and again, over and over and over. It's so wondrous, so magnificent, it's hard to believe. And we just have to again and again be reminded of this incredible news that Jesus has paid it all. So he says to them, I'm preaching to you a gospel you've already heard, you've already received, you're already standing in. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received. And now he's going to give them the four pillars of the gospel. Pay attention. He says that Christ died for your sins, according to the scriptures. And that he was buried. And that he rose again on the third day, according to the scriptures, number three. And number four, and that he was seen by Cephas, that's Peter, then by the twelve, that he was seen by over 500 brethren at once. 500 people at one time in one place saw Jesus alive after the dead. I mean, after he had uh, been dead. And it says here that most of them, of whom the greater part remained to the present. Most of them are still alive, guys. He wrote this to the, to the Corinthians and he said, most of these people that saw him, the 500 people at the same time that saw him, they're still alive. Go check it out. Go talk to them if you don't believe me. Some of them have passed away. But after this, he was seen by James, by the apostles, and then last of all, by me. Some of you know the story of Paul's encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus. So the four pillars of this good news, this glorious gospel, is that Christ died in my place. Oh, hallelujah. Now you know what that means, right? Praise the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. Christ died for me. He was buried. Why is that important? Well, please don't take offense to this if you're a fan of these things. But there are a lot of books that have been written about people who have uh, supposedly died, gone to heaven, and come back. In fact, there's a movie in the theaters right now about that. Uh, I'm not on a campaign about this or anything, but you just got to know uh, I'm not a fan. I've read a lot of those books, and there's a lot of goofy, strange stuff in there. Jesus didn't swoon on some operating table and then come back to say, oh, I died and, and I, here's what heaven was like. They buried him. And the Romans knew how to kill people. He was dead. There's no, there's no ambiguity about that. That's why it's here. That's why it's one of the four pillars of the gospel. Christ died for me. They buried him. And he rose again. And four, he was seen. Not just by one or two, not just by a group of people who decided, you know, we could make this, we could concoct this great story and start this new religion. No, he was seen by 500 people at one time, not to mention the other encounters. That's, those are the, that's 
what this glorious gospel, this good news stands upon, the pillars of this, of this uh, gospel. Now, verse uh, 17. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is futile. Listen, dear one, if Christ isn't alive, what are you doing here today? You're still in your sins. If Christ didn't rise from the dead, we have no hope. Verse 19, and if in this life only we have hope in Christ. In other words, if all we've got is some kind of, you know, uh, method for living a better life. You know, if all this Bible is about is principles for better living. He says, we are, if that's all we've got, we are the most miserable of all men. But that's not all we got. <laughs> we've got a risen Savior. That'd be a good place to say that Hebrew word I taught you earlier. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now verse 54, same chapter. So when this corruptible, and you look, you, you guys are all looking, now somebody actually, two people told me today they liked my shirt. I told them, you know, I would never have picked this shirt for me so you know who did. <laughs> she has good taste. And as fine and as, and as glorious as all you uh, are looking this morning in your Easter uh, refinery, re Easter finery, I guess is the right <laughs> way to say it. You're just a bag of corruption. Okay? Sorry. I didn't mean to ruin your day. So in this corruptible has put on incorruption. When this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, Hades, where is your victory? Verse 57 but thanks be to God who, has, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. His victory over death becomes my victory over death and yours when we cross that boundary from doubt into faith and receive this glorious gospel, receive the gift of this glorious gospel. We become the beneficiaries of his triumph over death in all of its ramifications, not just that I will someday be with God in heaven. Like I said earlier, I'm so grateful for that, but that's not all that it means. It means you don't have to worry about that wave that you feel is about to crash over you. It won't. You know, um, in the fall of 2008, I was sitting alone in, in a, in a uh, surgical waiting room <clears throat> while my wife was fighting for, for life. They, had, they were performing emergency surgery, and just before they wheeled her into the room, into the surgery room at high speed, <laughs> they showed me the x-rays and the scans of this tumor that big that had over, was, had, was in her abdomen overtaking her organs collapsing her vena cava one of the main um, vessels of blood to, to her body and um, 
I wasn't sure I'd ever see her again. Now, I love this woman so much. But as I sat there alone in that room, I wasn't afraid. I wasn't afraid. Oh, it would have broken my heart in ways that I don't even want to contemplate to have lost her that day. But I wasn't afraid. Because, see, Jesus has defeated death. Oh, death, where's your sting? When the enemy no longer has that to wield over you, when he no longer can threaten you with the loss of life as God intends, you are free. No longer bound by that fear of death we read about in Hebrews chapter 4. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren. When you see therefore in the Bible, you always ask yourself, what's the therefore there for? Therefore, because this is so, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And he describes for us what life is like after the rule of the fear of death has been removed from your life. He says, be steadfast. That means, as you might imagine, steady. You know, some of you would know uh, the uh, Peanuts comic book characters. Uh, Charlie Brown's the most famous, but one of the other characters is a guy named Pigpen, and if you've ever seen him, to, uh, you know, uh, in his character uh, form, he's got this whirlwind of dust swirling around him all the time. And most of us, I would imagine, feel like that, that our life is just... As we're trying our best to try to keep ahead of things, to position ourselves just right, to make sure that we get every ounce of whatever it is that we can, because it's all up to us, right? But when you realize, when you come face to face with the one who has taken the fear of death out of the way, there can come a... A steadiness. To your life. Be steadfast. It says be immovable. That means firm. That means those things that come to try to knock you off of your, off of your center, off of your foundation on the rock of Christ Jesus. And we all have those things. Those blows that take us by surprise. You find that you're still standing. You're still standing. I'm still standing. I told you about my wife's first surgery for cancer. There were two more after that. And each one of those felt like a blow to, talk, to try to knock me off of my, knock us off of our foundation on Christ Jesus. But you know, we're still standing. We're still standing. We don't, we don't fear death anymore 
always abounding in the Lord's work. When you get the fear of death out of, way, out of the way, now you can live the life God intended for you. He did not intend your life to be about making a living, making sure all the, the bills get pay, gets paid, bills get paid. It wasn't about you being able to take two weeks of vacation every year. It wasn't about, and how wonderful this is to be able to raise good you know, kids and all that. But it wasn't just about that. You were made for more than that. And when the fear of death is removed, you can live for that for which God created you. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, it says there. That's what I want to be about. There's something deep inside of you too that longs for that. That your, your life was about something far greater than just the existence that you have been living. And that brings us back to Salome. Because that's what she was doing that day. She really didn't know Jesus yet. She really hadn't got it yet. She was just working the angles. Trying to make sure that, that her, her sons were advanced in ways that, you know, might help them. Not to mention it might help her a little bit too. Trying to outrun that wave. But as she came to know Jesus, follow him, listen to him, observe him. And then especially on that day when she walked into that empty tomb, she understood something that many of us need to get. So let's watch that together. I don't really know how. Uh, what would be the word for uh, terrified and excited? Do you, do you know? Huh. Well, all I know is we were both of those things that morning. And that I ran faster than Sandals ought to be able to carry you. We had to tell everybody else what happened. After Jesus was crucified, it was all over. I mean, were we wrong about him? We had to have been. Jesus was dead, so we hid. Hid in fear. That morning, a, a small group of us women went to uh, prepare his body with spices and ointments. I mean, it, it was the very least that we could do, you know? even though none of this made any sense. For three days, that was the longest three days of my life. We were so afraid. Oh, but son. My head was racing faster than my feet. We bolted from that tomb. 
none of the other disciples were going to believe when we tried to explain. I mean, a massive sealed tombstone moved. Those Roman soldiers silenced. <sighs> Blinding angels, unnecessary grave clothes, now lay folded neatly inside an empty tomb as if they had some sort of secret to tell. <laughs> well, a picture's worth a thousand words in the empty tomb. It's worth a thousand promises. Do you see what this means? We were waiting for the Messiah to come and restore Israel. Jesus exceeded all our expectations. I mean, he was the Messiah that nobody could contain. So we were hoping too small. This means... This means that everything that has been taken, God can restore. He lives so that we can too. <sighs> Our greatest roadblock has been removed because not even the doors of death can shut out the certainty of life through Jesus. Our strongest enemy has now been defeated. So you tell me, what rival can come up against him? Hmm? Kings, presidents, powers that be. Whatever is happening right now and whatever is to come. I mean, the, the lowest lows and the highest highs. None of these things can make that grave any less empty. Nothing. No temple veil, no checkered past, no hellish lie. It can't stop the mortal from putting on immortality. He softened the sting of death and swallowed up our defeat in victory. I don't have all the answers. But I tell you, standing near those discarded grave clothes, those secret-keeping pieces of cloth, well, the secret's out now. <laughs> He's not dead. He's not missing. He hasn't been taken away. No, he is alive. He walked out of that tomb and left death and <laughs> discarded grave clothes behind. He is alive. <sighs> yeah. If there is a way to be made, it's through him. If there is hope in this world, his name is Jesus the Christ.
lives. He lives, the Messiah, our Messiah, my, my Messiah. Yes, Jesus. Uh. He's alive. And the secret's out. <laughs> it's out. This is recording number 11100 from the Teaching Ministry of Crossroads Foursquare Church in Fairfield, California. It was recorded on Sunday morning, April 20, 2014. This is the fourth and final message in a series titled, The Road to Resurrection. This message by Randy Bolt is titled, He Defeated Death. 